As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 899. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Totally football show at the Euros, and it's so long Scotland as classy Croatia clip Clark and Co. Meanwhile, at Wembley, as crypto crashes, Sterling soars. Plus, we look ahead to Wednesday's games with more groupie action than a Motley Crue autobiography. And we find out for whom F means failure. On this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello again, listener. It's me, Matt, back with you. Daniel Storey's also on board. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Matt. And so too, Tom Williams. Um, Now, Tom, Wales' second most famous fan, Ellis James, tweeted yesterday, Wales v Denmark in Amsterdam on Saturday. I can't believe we're now globally recognised as the bad guys. How do you feel about your newfound status as international villain? Hi, Matt. Yeah, it's quite the turnaround. Um, I mean, we were the fairy tale uh, at Euro 2016, perhaps the co-fairy tale uh, along with Iceland. Um, And we are now the team setting out to try and ruin the fairy tale so it is a slightly different position for Wales to be in I mean Denmark I think with the the one team who Wales wanted to avoid in the last 16 the last time we came up against them in the inaugural Nations League group stage they beat us quite comfortably in both games I think Wales would have backed themselves against Finland and and Russia Uh, I sort of found myself willing Finland not to concede against Belgium purely in a hope that Wales would then end up playing Finland uh, because I think we'd stand a much better chance against them than against Denmark. So, yeah, 
uh, odds odds are against Wales, and so are uh, all the neutrals in the world. <laughs> so that's one of the home nations. The other two were both in action on Tuesday night. Let's find out how things unfolded in Group D. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Ah, the familiar kiss of tournament ennui. Hello, old friend, said Steve Clark, possibly. Clark saw his Scotland team outclassed by Croatia at Hampden Park as the World Cup finalists joined the Euro 2020 party in the process of ordering Scotland's taxi. Nikola Vlasic had Croatia in front early. There was hope when Callum McGregor lashed in an equaliser near the break. But Luka Modric and Ivan Perisic demonstrated the difference in class with goals after the restart to ensure Croatia go through in second place. Now it's with Modric, goal! What a strike it is! It's vintage Modric! And it's a heartbreaker for Scotland! Joining us now is the Athletics feet bar expert Jordan Campbell. Uh, Jordan, it was a good response to going a goal down with that equaliser just before half-time, but, but in the second half, Croatia really took it away from Scotland. Is that fair? No, I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's the, the typical cliche that half time came at the wrong time for Scotland. Um, you know, before Callum McGregor got the equaliser, it did seem like Croatia were almost just playing their own game and Scotland couldn't really get near Modric or Kovacic in the middle of the park. But um, it felt like if Scotland were going to get a goal, it was never going to be from a great chance. It was going to be, have to be from, you know, an opportunistic moment. And that's what happened. You know, they, they missed Adams, missed one at the back post. McGinn had a header at the back post he tried to put across then he scuffed another chance and you know considering the chances they missed in the last couple of games as well almost felt like <laughs> luck was not on their side but um, no when McGregor rifled that in for the, for the edge of the box um, you know hammed and updated in it for the next five minutes there were a couple of big chan- uh, challenges went in and the crowd really got behind them and you thought they might build on this here but second half uh, Croatia just came out and played the way they did for basically the first 35-40 and, um, you know, the better side won in the day. Um, you know, it was unbelievable to watch Modric strutty stuff. Um, I just thought he was terrific and, um, you know, Vlasic and Perisic, just guys at a different at a different level on the night. So, don't think Scotland can really feel too aggrieved. Did the absence of, of Gilmore make that much of a difference on the night and, and how what did you make of how Steve Clark set the team up without him? I mean, it's, it's difficult to say if Gilmore was playing, would he have changed it that much? I mean, you're dealing with Luka Modric here, who can wriggle out of holes like nobody else in world football. So, um, you know, I, I was surprised that the way they pressed in midfield on Friday against England was so good. Um, the way that Gilmore and McGregor sat behind McGinn and he really got after um, after Rice. I thought they would go with the same system, but um, perhaps because Armstrong... Um, isn't he as positionally disciplined? Um, isn't he quite as aggressive as Gilmore? The, um, they sort of went with a flat three, but I never, I wasn't quite sure what what it was they were trying to do to combat Croatia's midfield. There's just so much time they had on it, and it never seemed like we were really trying to put pressure on anyone, anyone in particular. Um, I thought we really missed McGinn playing on the right the right side of the three. I thought we really missed his presence and his ability to win setting balls and in the heart of the midfield. Um, I think that was a one of the big problems in Croatia really good on the left hand side as well um, up against O'Donnell uh, Jordan when, when Steve Clark looks back on this campaign will it be the Czech Republic match which really cost Scotland and, and where does this leave Clark now in, in terms of going forward is he the man to, to carry on for Scotland 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think Clark's position's under um, scrutiny. Um, you know, as talk of a new contract being in the offing before the coming into the tournament. Um, so, you know, I think the guy who finished the, the job that Alex McLeish started, you know, um, getting here after 23 years was the big, um, the big box he had to tick, so he did that. But, yeah, looking back on the three games, I think the major regret is the fact that the Czech Republic um, the first half especially, um, you know, they were there for the taking, I think. Um, and Scotland just played a... I, don't, I, I wouldn't say they didn't play to win, I think they did play to win, but they did it in a way that almost avoided risk, you know, avoid the risk of playing through midfield, playing without playmakers, playing without Che Adams, we'll go long to Lyndon Dykes. Uh, I found it really frustrating to watch that because we've got a better squad than that and a more capable squad than that, but I just felt that we never gave ourselves the platform to actually take the game to them and express ourselves. Um, so, you know, the England game was a complete 180 for that, where we went in and showed great positional tactical discipline, but on the ball, I thought we really um, we really took the game to them. So, uh, you know, again, coming into the Croatia game, you would have taken a shootout with Croatia to qualify, but um, they just proved a level above. So, you know, that is a regret that if you'd have at least taken something for for um, the Czech Republic, it would have, it would have given you that um, that boost. But um, you know, easy to look back on it. But I think he did get your selection wrong that that night, and you know, potentially was Armstrong the right option tonight. I don't think it was a, a perfect option, no matter who you went with. Um, they all had their pros and cons, but Armstrong really struggled tonight. So um, aye, I, I, I think I, the England game is a real a real strong performance. But both both sides, both games either side of that were were disappointing. Quickly, Jordan, who are Scotland fans going to throw their support behind now? Obviously not <laughs> like, I was going to say anybody but England, but um, I don't know. Um, probably Denmark. I would say that's you know everybody's default choice. I think after um, after what's uh, what's happened there the last 10, 10 days with Ericsson. So um, I know they're up against another home nation, so maybe that might be controversial. But um, you know, I think a lot of people have come away with. A, even more enhanced appreciation of um, Luka Modric and just what what a football player he is. Um, just an absolute joy to watch. So um, maybe Modric will be one of those that you come away from and think, I saw Luka Modric run the show. But um, right now it doesn't feel like that. But <laughs> um, I'd probably say Denmark. Uh, Denmark. Jordan Campbell there. A sad Scotsman. Read him only in The Athletic. Uh, Daniel, if nothing else, it was nice to see Croatia join the party and, and specifically Luka Modric. Yeah, and I, I can't can't help thinking that this was kind of the plan all along. I'm sure they'd have preferred to to beat the Czech Republic, of course. But Dalic said before the tournament that the, the England game felt like a bit of a, a free roll of the dice for Croatia because they weren't expected to win the game and they knew with the format of the tournament that there was no huge issue with finishing second or third and that should still be well within their grasp. And other than the, you know, the slight setbacks in conceding against Czech Republic and and, and Scotland, they they pretty much did that. They they are, they're not an exciting team to watch, and that's true of a, a number of teams in Group D, I think. But you know, they they've ended up obviously finishing second because of um, because of scoring the extra goal as well. So they'll consider that job well done. Have we underestimated them, Tom? Have they done that thing that we've been asking teams to do and peak at the right time? Potentially. I mean, it feels like um, this group phase has helped Zlatko Dalic figure out what is his best team. When we were previewing a tournament, we talked about Croatia. There was a lot of focus on the players who'd moved on. 
since uh, the last World Cup and, and the new players potentially who were going to come in. There was talk of Nikola Vlasic, there was talk of uh, of Petkovic and, and it, it took until the third game for them to, to start uh, for Croatia at this tournament. Vlasic, big expectations, young, exciting, attacking midfielder and he came into the starting eleven got Croatia's first goal. Um, but of course, what we've also seen is that you can still rely on the wise old heads of Luka Modric. I mean, possibly the archetypal Luka Modric goal tonight. I mean, a, a footballer who uses the outside of his foot more frequently and more distinctively uh, than almost any other player I can think of, you know, scoring an absolute beauty with, with the outside of his foot and and then also setting up the, um, uh, the third goal for Ivan Perisic. So yeah, I, I think Croatia are probably slightly closer to where they need to be than they were in that first match. I think I think what we saw in that game against Scotland was perhaps an indication that there is a way of sort of balancing the, the wise old heads with some of these new players. And, you know, we talk a lot about momentum. There's a lot to be said for saving your best performance in the group phase for your third match because it means that everyone goes into the last 16 with a bit of energy behind them, a bit of wind in their sails. If Croatia had started like that and then trailed off, things would be very different. Um, so yeah, I think they'll definitely be, um, be one to keep an eye on from now on. So Croatia go on to play the team who will finish second in Group E, which we will know this time tomorrow. That game will take place in Copenhagen on Monday tea time. In the other game in Group D, England confirmed their place as group winners after Raheem Sterling, who'd never scored at a major tournament before this one, got his and England's second goal of Euro 2020. Grealish. Oh, lovely little ding ball! Came early on, not a great deal happened after that. Uh, Daniel, what did you make of the, the starting eleven? Jack Grealish was the uh, the headline maker, I guess, and he set up the goal. Did he do much after that? Not really. England didn't do much after that, really. I think I think it was a, a really good start, and Southgate will be really pleased that you know the goal came from Bakayo Saka dropping deep to pick up the ball and surging forward. Harry Kane playing it to Grealish, Grealish crossing, albeit with the aid of a, a slight nick off of a defender to to Sterling to score. Um, they were the three attacking midfielders he he wanted to choose behind Harry Kane, and it worked really well despite the kind of the now overwhelming clamours for for Jaden Sancho to start. He's kind of replaced Jack Grealish, and I think what we noticed is that. England were better, they were quicker, they had more intent. Luke Shaw was certainly playing higher up the pitch, but uh, I think the Czechs were more dangerous than Croatia or Scotland had been, You know, especially down that right flank with or England's left where, when Shaw was pushed up. But I think most of their play in the first half came down that flank and I think that made Southgate go back to type, which is the control. And I think the control is just as successful, you know, Czech Republic didn't have a shot on target in the second half and that's that's the way to manage a football match. The issue for Southgate, if he believes it to be an issue, is that fans don't see those two successful ideals as being equal to one another. They they see the you know the the attacking intent as a more wholesome way and a more enjoyable, understandable way of watching England in a tournament. So yeah, I think I thought England were brilliant at what they did in both halves. It's just that the, the kind of overwhelming narrative in terms of public opinion, I suspect, will be that they played well in the first half hour and that's it. Yeah, quite sort of Sven vibes 
about that, I guess. Mm. Tom, you're a bit more detached than the rest of us from England. What's your take on, on this Jaden Sancho business then? Because it, it now seems that he's behind not only Foden, Mount, Grealish, Rashford, but also Saka. It is puzzling um, because over the last two or three seasons, he's been one of the best attacking players in the whole of Europe. And you would have thought that consequently the England manager would be doing everything he could to try and and find a way for him, uh, if not to start every game, then at least to feature more regularly. Um, So the fact that he got, what was it, six minutes at the end of the game today was... Uh, slightly curious. At the same time, as Daniel says, England felt like they shifted into game management mode with about an hour of the game to go. You know, all of the substitutions they made prior to Sancho coming on, which was actually just a like-for-like swap for Saka, felt like game management substitutions about just, you know, keeping keeping in control of the game. And as Dan says, they did that very well. I suppose that the one thing that you could say in, in Southgate's defence is that... In all his appearances for England so far, and okay, he's he's still a very young player with with only a handful of caps. But Sancho hasn't ever done anything in an England shirt that that's made you think he absolutely deserves to be starting every single week. Um, and while you can point to his club form as clear evidence that he's good enough to play for England, I suspect that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't seen more of him in an England shirt. And at the same time, you know, we've only just reached the end of the group phase. There is still enough time in this tournament for Jadon Sancho to make uh, a big impact. That being said, I I do find Southgate's reluctance to to use him slightly puzzling. I I think it was more surprising not to see him come on against Scotland when England were clearly struggling than it was for him not to start against Czech Republic, not least because, as as Tom said, he hasn't really performed in an England shirt yet. And also because Southgate picked Bakaya Saka, not least because Saka was facing Jan Buril, who of, of Slavia Prague, who, who Saka gave a torrid time to in the Europa League this season. And I mean, Saka was awarded man of the match. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's certainly a, a, some vindication for Southgate's call. I agree it would have been nice to see more of Sancho so far in this tournament and it would be nice that if we weren't going into the knockout stages with him still kind of this almost hanging over Southgate that he hasn't used him. But I think it was a brave call by Southgate picking Saka and not not least because he wasn't even guaranteed for the squad in you know a month ago. Uh, so to have him be man of the match, I hope at least kind of dissuade some of that noise for now. How do you feel now, Daniel, about England having finished top? The the argument for is that they get to play at Wembley. It's kind of difficult because we don't know at the time of recording who they're going to face. But as Rory was saying last night, would it not have been better to get the weaker oppo in the last 16? I'm kind of torn. I, I, I think that... I don't know if this is how Gareth Southgate sees it, but England got to a World Cup semi-final three years ago. And yet you speak to lots of England fans and lots of certainly almost every England cynic. And the reaction is, well, yeah, but you didn't beat a decent team, uh, even though you got to the World Cup semi-final. Now, that clearly wouldn't have happened if if England had beaten Croatia and and then lost to France in the final. Maybe they would have still said the same thing. I don't know. But I think it probably made Southgate's mind that his attitude is, look, we're going to have to be, we want to win this tournament. And if you want to win this tournament, you have to beat these teams. And I'd rather try and do that at Wembley than have to go and move training camp, etc. And so on. He's already got these kind of little issues with, you know, with Mount and 
And with Ben Chilwell, I suspect he didn't want to have to move training camp and fly to another country to play a game. So I don't think it was ever really in their thinking. Tom, Gareth Southgate will say that positives for England were that, that Harry Maguire started and Jordan Henderson got on. I just wonder how positive that is, because are you, are you going to be then thinking, well, we can start these two players who are definitely going to be undercooked compared to a, a Calvin Phillips or a, or a Tyrone Mings or whoever it is that they would be replacing? It's, it's got to be a risk to start them in a, in a game against Portugal, Germany or France, surely. I mean, it, it's it's a much it's a much smaller risk now that they've got some game time under their belt. I, I think I think the bottom line for England is that nothing that has happened in the group phase precludes them from winning the tournament. In actual fact, you know, going through the group phase without conceding a goal, uh, okay, they haven't excited us very much, um, but they've not really put a foot wrong. And everything that happens to the major nations in the group phase of major tournaments gets magnified uh, out of all proportion. As I said when I was asked on the pod, the only thing that really matters is getting through. You look at the last Euro, Portugal scraped through by the skin of their teeth with three draws. No one was backing them to win it and they end up winning it. France weren't great in, in the group stage of, of, of the, the 2018 World Cup. They went on to win it. And, and England, yes, they haven't been particularly exciting, but it, it's difficult to play expansive, free-flowing football when you're playing against relatively conservative opposition. I mean, the Czech Republic came at them a little bit more than than Croatia and Scotland had. But even so, you know, England will find it, I think they will paradoxically find it easier to play the sort of football they want to play against the big teams like France, Germany, Portugal, because they will have a bit more, because they'll be playing against teams who are more likely to attack them. So as much as it pains me to say, I, I don't see anything to worry about from an England perspective. Of course, it could be better, but like, you know, it could have been better for Portugal in the group stage at Euro 2016. And the fact that it wasn't any better didn't stop them winning the thing. I also think that England under Southgate seem to have got this habit since World Cup 2018 of almost playing down and up to the standards and style of the opposition. So we see these very perfunctory 1-0 wins or even 0-0 draws against teams that sit deep. And then when a team like the Czechs press a little bit more England suddenly turn up a bit more. It almost seems to depend on the opposition style rather than them imposing their own style, which is probably a criticism of, of Southgate, but doesn't need to be in tournament football because if if England do play Portugal, for example, or, or Germany, and as Tom says, if, if there is a bit more zip in the game, that probably helps England because Southgate, all, all Southgate, I think, wanted to do in this group stage is to stay defensively solid, no calamities, no disasters, win the group. And exactly like Tom says, that we've seen nothing that suggests we, we can't go deep in the tournament. That doesn't mean we're going to win it. It doesn't mean we all have to get jingoistic about you know, England's chances. But we also shouldn't. It doesn't need to be this kind of overwhelming, enveloped negativity that for some reason seems to have engulfed Southgate over the last... Maybe it's not month, maybe it's come to the fore over the last month, but it seems really harsh to me. Yeah, and that, that kind of negativity showed itself a little bit in his in his pre-match interview with Gabriel Clark. He was asked about the absences of Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell, and he said they spent 120 seconds too long in a fairly open space. It's full of contradictions to me when talking about uh, the protocols that have meant that Mount and Chilwell are, are in their 10-day isolation. They would be available for the last 16 game, but it's very difficult to see them having any involvement in that if they're not taking part in training sessions for 10 days. Uh, Tom, we should have a, a word on the on the Czech Republic. They go through, albeit in, in third place, 
mistakes, which which is something that they might live to regret because you feel like playing the second place team in Group E would have been a, a far easier task for them than potentially Netherlands or Belgium. Yeah, I mean, you wonder whether that third Croatia goal might prove to be the equivalent of Patrick Clivert knocking Scotland out of Euro 96 with that uh, late consolation goal against England in the sense that it, it felt like a goal that didn't really change very much. But in actual fact, it's the goal that put Croatia second and, and, and drops Czech Republic back into third. I mean, I've, I've not been... Like blown away by Czech Republic, but they're clearly a decent team. I mean, Patrick Schick has has been one of the you know one of the the absolute stars of the group phase. I mean, that goal against Scotland alone, you know, will, will be talked about for a long time. Um, they weren't far away from you know from getting back into the game against England. You think about that Thomas Suchek chance uh, in the first half that sort of grazes the post. So yeah, I wouldn't write them off too quickly, but I I I wonder whether they may come to rue uh, finishing third in the group rather than second. So three teams going through from Group D. Then we'll turn our attention to the final batch of group games next. The Euros are here and we'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much Carpe Diem as Carpadium. <laughs> if the grass is greener on the other side... Come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch. And if one leg of your four plus fold bet builder lets you down, get money back as a free bet on all games this Euros. Paddy Power. Pretty much only max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Me nods one to five on exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, some Euro 2020 related news, which came to light on Tuesday. UEFA has denied a request to light up the Allianz Arena in rainbow colours before Germany's match against Hungary on Wednesday. You may remember that Munich Mayor Dieter Reiter made the request in protest against a new law in Hungary that bans the sharing of any content seen as promoting homosexuality and gender change to under-18s. UEFA says it nixed it because of the political context. Reiter described UEFA's decision as shameful. UEFA have instead offered alternative dates for the rainbow illumination of the Allianz Arena, either June the 28th or between July the 3rd and the 9th. No games happening in Munich on any of those dates. Uh, just do it tomorrow night, lads. Start a GoFundMe. We'll all chip in. Do it anyway. Yeah. Blame a technical fault. Blame a non-existent you know, work experience kid or something. <laughs> it's always that intense. Full, foolproof. Uh, elsewhere, more than 60,000 fans will be in attendance for the semi-finals and final at Wembley Stadium, increasing the attendance to 75% of capacity for each game. How do you feel about this, Daniel? On the one hand, yay, great atmosphere, but also, is this actually safe? 
Uh, well, I, th- I think it has to be. I think, or they, they certainly, it certainly has to be safe enough that they are prepared to go with it. I've no doubt that that they've agreed to this because they want to keep the semi-final and the final at Wembley rather than it going to to Budapest. That that seems without doubt, but there are measures in place. You know, this isn't a free fall. It is actually an incredibly um, admin heavy process to to go through to to go to those games. You know, in terms of lateral flow tests, etc. So, I, I on a very personal level, I, I feel like I'm completely in a little bubble where I've barely left a house in 15 months. So it kind of it, it seems mad to me seeing three or four people together. Never mind sixty thousand. But I think we have to trust that it is um, legit and, and safe and that there is no kind of spike thereafter because that would be obviously it'd be a, a, a massive, not a massive shame, but a, a tragedy. You see the difference it makes though, Tom, don't you? That's the thing, the Denmark game on, on Monday night and, and the atmosphere that we all enjoyed there. You can see why UEFA is so keen to get that replicated if possible. Yeah, it makes a massive difference. Um, and, you know, you look at you look at the England game and it felt like one of those very sleepy England friendlies in front of a half full Wembley um, partly because it was in front of a, a less than half full Wembley and it did have that sort of sleepy friendly pace to it and, and the games that have had you know more fans in that Denmark game being one example obviously there's huge emotion around the Denmark team before we even get on to uh, the capacity of, of their matches but the Hungary France game as well another one I mean Hungary that the one uh, home team who have benefited from playing in front of a full house and, and you really saw the benefit of that so yeah I mean from the from the sort of tournament perspective from even from a PR perspective you can you can absolutely see why they're they're pushing to have more fans in for those um those crucial games at the end Wednesday then the last day of the group stages uh, today as you hear this what a wild ride it's been groups E and F are the last to conclude Listener, like you, we love this game, uh, but the specific game of Slovakia versus Spain is a tough one to get massively jazzed about, given what we've seen from the two teams thus far in the tournament. Slovakia need a point to confirm qualification. They could still top the group. Spain will definitely be through with a win. It's been a tough task watching Spain so far. Imagine how much tougher it would be if you actually supported them. That's the case for our hombre principal, Alvaro Romeo, who I chatted to earlier. Alvaro, presumably you'll be hitting the caffeine hard over the next few hours so you can stay awake for Spain's game with Slovakia? Yes, I will, I will, I will, I will. You know, Matt, I never thought that Spain was going to get to this point of the tournament with such a skint return of points, only two. And yeah, they've got uh, everything to do for the last day because uh, you know, they know that they will go through if they beat Slovakia. Uh, but of course, with the draw, uh, they might not go through if... Uh, Poland beat Sweden, so yeah, it's a tricky one. After the Sweden game, we said, well, it's only one game, and then Spain laboured again against Poland. The reaction in the Spanish press has been fairly predictable. How much pressure are they putting on Luis Enrique and the players? Well, I think that there is pressure. I think that uh, there is pressure on Luis Enrique, on the players as well, even from uh, some unusual suspects as well, like, for example, Rafael van der Vaart who was saying that Spain had been terrible and uh, when the Spanish players have been inquired about that or Luis Enrique, 
well, you could tell that they didn't like uh, this kind of uh, remarks from a fellow uh, former footballer uh, to the point that Sergio Borsquets was saying something like, I could be very nasty with Van der Bart because if you remember, he was involved in the sequence of Iniesta's goal in the World Cup final against the Netherlands. But yes, the pressure is massive. Uh, the, pressure, the pressure is big and probably Spain is going to face the usual problems that they are facing nowadays. Uh, number one, uh, they have to attack a very populated defence while being patient, but having an eye in the stopwatch as well. Because the more the nil-nil lingers in the scoreline, the bigger the pressure for the team, of course. Yeah, those quotes from Rafael van der Vaart. He said, Spain is awful, awful. I hope we face them. They have nothing in this team. They just go from one side of the pitch to the other. They don't even have a player who knows how to make a decisive pass. Tiago Alcantara strikes me as a player who knows how to make a decisive pass. Is there any chance... We'll see him in this game. And, and what about other potential changes to the team? Yes, there is a, there is a chance, Matt. Uh, I remember we spoke a couple of days ago and I was telling you that I wasn't expecting big revolutions. Well, maybe this is not exactly a revolution, but uh, according to the training session uh, today, uh, Luis Enrique has uh, done a test with Azpilicueta, Gaya instead of Jordi Alba, and Thiago Alcantara in the lineup. So these three uh, could feature in the game against uh, um, against Slovakia, and I think that they've got a decent chance of playing. And Thiago Alcantara is going to be so important in the team because uh, I was checking some stats about the Spanish national team, and you know, uh, collectively they haven't been that terrible if you check the stats. I mean, they are the third team in the whole Euro with most. Uh, attacks started, also the ninth in, shot, in shots on target, uh, the seventh in corners taken, and their XG is more than five, and they have played only two games. But the thing is that uh, individually the executions have been so poor, Matt, because uh, when they have the chances, they haven't scored, and I think that what epitomizes all this is Gerard Moreno's penalty miss against Poland the other day. The team is lacking so much leadership that after Gerard Moreno missed that penalty, basically uh, they couldn't... Uh, they couldn't recover from it. All right. Finally, Alvaro, I'm going to ask you to give us a prediction. Are Spain going to win the match? And are they going to go much further than the last 16, even if they do get through? I genuinely believe that Spain is going to go through. For all the problems they've got that I explained before, I think that this time they have to beat Slovakia. And it's down to them. And it's in their hands. And they will do it. I really genuinely believe that it's possible to do this. And then in the last 16, it's a mystery for me because for the first time, probably Spain are going to face a game in which uh, they are playing against a rival that don't park the bus. And then we will see a version of Spain that we haven't seen before. But in the last precedence of Spain playing against top teams, normally they haven't lost. And a good example of that is that they qualified for the Nations League Final Four. I think that the last 16 is a totally new dimension for Spain. And I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't like to go more far or to do predictions on this. I can tell you that I think that I'm very positive that Spain is going to beat Slovakia. Muy bueno. Gracias, amigo. All right. Thank you, Matt. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Romeo there. Uh, Spain topped the possession table, 72%, joint third for accuracy, seventh for attempts on goal. Uh, Tom, if you were to release an updated version of your book, Do You Speak Football, still available now, would Alvaro Morata have his own entry slash section? <laughs> it's possible. I mean, it does feel like his his career is heading in that direction. He has become this sort of eternal nearly man. Uh, and it was interesting that after that game against Poland, um, there was more focus on him 
or it felt like there was more focus on him missing the rebound from a penalty that a teammate had missed than on the fact that he'd scored Spain's only goal uh, with a you know quite crafty bit of six-yard box movement. But yeah, I, I feel like he does sort of sum up Spain's problems in the sense that, as you say, they've dominated both of their games so far. I mean, their XG figures are actually pretty decent, you know, compared to other teams in the tournament, even teams that have that have comfortably outscored them. But they just haven't yet found that cutting edge. And that's why they find themselves in this real position of, of peril, basically needing to win this game in order to be sure of going through. Um, I thought Gerard Moreno, who came into the team for that game against Poland did give them a little bit of an extra spark, sort of playing out on the right, cutting in onto his left foot, sets up uh, Morata's goal, uh, but then uh, misses the, the penalty that, that would have given Spain victory. And as, as Alvaro says, you know, it looks like Spain are going are gonna to shake things up. Um, I, they've not been that far away from, you know, winning both of their first two games. So I, yeah, I would have thought that, you know, although they're in a very delicate situation, the underlying statistics suggest that if they produce the same performance uh, in this game uh, as they did in their first two games and just show a, a touch uh, of extra quality in front of goal, um, they should be able to, to, to win this without too much trouble. Uh, Spain's record against Slovakia, 1-4, drawn one, lost one. Luis Enrique played and scored in the first ever meeting between them, as did a man called Samuel Slovak. Abby thinks that's a, that's a fake name. It's certainly from the A trialist school of fake names if so um daniel slovakia only need a draw they're going to park the bus here just like they did against sweden aren't they yeah 100 percent they will and you cannot blame them for that having seen how sweden managed to frustrate spain i don't think they'll do it i think spain will eventually you know, it, it almost be, because of how they've played in this tournament it almost just becomes an extension of their other matches and you have to think that having scored one goal in 180 minutes with that kind of dominance at some point the 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 dam will break. That's certainly Enrique's view. He says, you know, we we are about to explode at this tournament. Which, I mean, maybe he would say that, but it's hard to doubt it against a team who they're, they're obdurate, but they they've still conceded two goals already, Slovakia. So they're not perfect. And yeah, I think Spain will have too much, um, which will leave Slovakia in a pretty tricky position, qualification wise. Well, elsewhere in Group E, it's top against bottom in St. Petersburg, Sweden taking on Poland. The Swedes already through, having earned four points from their two games. They'll top the group if they win here. Just the one point thus far for Lewandowski and co. A victory here sends them through. Tricky to really get a read on Poland, Tom, I think. They, they were better against Spain, having disappointed in their opening game, but that came with the caveat of, of having a man sent off. It's going to be interesting to see what they do against a team that, that theoretically you'd think they should be as good as, if not better. Yeah, I mean, they were disappointing in that opener against Slovakia. I think most people would have, you know, would have backed them to win that and then they're up against it right from the off. Um, I thought they did look uh, much livelier against Spain. Uh, they had Svidersky playing up front, alongside Lewandowski, who consequently looked um, a lot less isolated and, and got his first goal of the tournament. And they were, they were pressing more aggressively than they had uh, in, that, in that game against, um, uh, that opening game against Slovakia. Uh, I mean, the way that Spain build up uh, invites that. But, you know, Poland showed a kind of willingness to, to get up there and, and get in their faces. And yeah, the, the fact that, that Lewandowski is now off the mark, that they seem to have a bit more going for them in attack, Sweden already through, so while they might not take their foot off the pedal completely, you know, there isn't quite the same 
um, you know, pressing need for them to go out and get a result. So I, th- I think Poland will will draw a lot of encouragement from the way that they played against Spain. As for Sweden, Daniel, they're already through, so this is going to be handbrake off everybody up front. Let's do some samba football in in a typically Swedish style. Yeah, yes and no, I suppose. In that, it's a weird game. This one in the if some of the the last group stage matches have had next to no um, kind of intrigue on them, but this is interesting, I think, because if Spain score early and look to be going ahead of therefore look to be going ahead of Sweden i wonder if sweden will will go for it because there is a clear advantage to to topping the group you know you get a run that plays a a third third place team in in another group rather than playing croatia and also avoiding the italy belgium half of the draw probably france as well so it's a really interesting one in that i think there's like some weird game management that Sweden will have to do. I really hope Alexander Isaac scores, by the way, because I think he's probably been the best striker at the tournament without a goal. Uh, really bright outside the area. Does the does the target man stuff well as well, and yet it just not quite clicked for him in front of goal. And uh, yeah, I think he probably deserves that. Yeah, he's been excellent so far. Uh, English interest in this game too, with Michael Oliver refereeing. The standard of refereeing in this tournament really has been excellent. Listener, drink. Right, that's Group E. We'll preview the Group of F next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Germany and Hungary meet in Munich, which, as mentioned, isn't somewhere over the rainbow thanks to UEFA. Germany have gone from no-hopers to one of the favourites to win the whole caboodle after that demolition job of Portugal. Hungary earned a draw against France, but they'll have to do so without their 60,000 strong support this time. This looks like a, a relatively straightforward Germany win, he said, tempting fate. Tom, I'm not sure we've seen much of Hungary to suggest that without that noisy backing, they're, they're up to much particularly. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be an interesting experiment to see, you know, how how much that affects them, because that has been a, a huge factor uh, for them previously. Um, you know, they were so close to holding Portugal to a goalless draw in their opening fixture, end up letting in three late goals, which, 
didn't flatter Portugal in the sense that Portugal were the only team who were trying to score any goals, but it didn't really reflect how well Hungary had played. And then I think that you know that sort of raucous support from a uh, a full Pushkas Arena was a, a pretty sizable factor in the fact that they managed to hold France to a draw last time out. So yeah, the challenge for Hungary is to try and repeat that intensity uh, when they're not playing on, on home soil uh, in front of a very vibrant and, and very energised home crowd. I mean, I think what we have seen from Hungary is, you know, a quite clear approach in terms of how they go about these games with the sort of, you know, the 5-3-2. They're very compact. They're very physical um, and, you know, they, they look to break forward quickly, you know, whenever they turn over the ball. And they did that very successfully against France. And, and actually, they were reasonably comfortable. There wasn't any great France on, onslaught towards the end of the game. Uh, and, and Hungary were, were good value for that point. So while Germany obviously go into this game with fantastic momentum off the back of that great performance against Portugal, and also with this sense that, you know, this this new identity that they've been searching for for what feels like, you know, the last sort of four, five, six years might finally now be coalescing at long last. I think Hungary will will back themselves to make this difficult in the in the same way they did for Portugal and then for, and then for France. Hungary would definitely go through if they won. Uh, for Germany, Daniel, they've got to feel like the, the way the fixtures were scheduled has worked out really nicely for them. Get the toughest game out of the way first, then dismantle Portugal, and then you've got what on paper looks like the, the most straightforward match to finish. Yeah, I, I actually thought before the tournament started, they had it the worst way around, particularly after Portugal scored pretty early because it, it felt like they could be almost out the tournament having played two of the favourites in the first two games, which felt distinctly un major tournament like but yeah you're right it's it's worked out perfectly with the roaring comeback against Portugal now plays into into the Hungary game and and obviously potentially England's last 16 opponents as well um there is a you know I know everyone's being a little bit down on England at the moment but it's not just that we don't want to play one of these massive nations they don't particularly want to come to Wembley and play England in the last 16 either so there's going to be a real scramble to try and top Group F uh, on Wednesday evening, which will be, yeah, really interesting because if we assume that you know if we assume that Germany do win, and I think they will, um, really sets up the other game nicely to to see if that Germany top the group or or someone else. Uh, that other game takes place between Portugal and France. This one looks great. It's going to be played in Budapest. France are through. They'll top the group with a win. Portugal will be in the last sixteen if they avoid defeat. Uh, Tom, it's been a little while now since that that draw against Hungary. What's what's the reaction been in the French press this week? I think there's been some concern about certain aspects of France's performance. There's concern that this new look attack uh, that France and pretty much everyone else had such high expectations for uh, hasn't yet clicked. Um, you know, Karim Benzema is is still waiting for his his first France goal since his recall. He's now gone four games or, or three three and a bit games without scoring and, and fluffed at least one presentable chance uh, against Hungary. I think there are also some concerns about some of the defensive aspects of France's performance. I mean, Benjamin Pavard had one of his worst games uh, in a France shirt and, and has long been seen as a, a bit of a potential weak link. So the, the speculation in the French media is that there are probably going to be a few changes for this one. We could see uh, Jules Koundé, uh, of Sevilla come in for Pavar at right back. The expectation is that Lucas Hernandez will come back into the team, having sat out uh, for Luca Dean 
uh, in the Hungary game. Uh, and it looks like Corentin Toliso might come in for Adrian Rabio in, in midfield as well. Um, I don't think there'll be any radical change to the way that, that France play. This is a Didier Deschamps team after all. But if we go back to the last time these two teams met, it was in the uh, Nations League group phase in November. Uh, and in that game, Deschamps went back to the sort of lopsided 4-2-3-1 system that he'd used to such success at the 2018 World Cup and France won a uh, goal from Magolo Conte. And that, along with their opening game against Germany at this tournament, is probably their, their most impressive performance since that World Cup. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar sort of system and a similar sort of approach. Um, so yeah, there's there's no great no great sense of concern or dismay, I don't think, as far as France are concerned. But there is this... There is an awareness that there are issues that are just starting to simmer and that if France were to lose again or, or, or produce another underwhelming performance, you know, we could find ourselves looking at certain players, uh, you know, with, a, with a, a fairly considerable degree of scrutiny. Issues bubbling away for, for France then, Daniel. That might play into Portugal's favour. Also, the fact that they tend to be better when they're when they're up against it a little bit they, they can flatter to deceive against weaker opposition but but like like playing in these big games is, is that too simplistic a take yeah I mean the one thing I cannot escape from this game is that if we assume Germany beat Hungary then I just think both I think Portugal will be very very happy with a draw that would see them finish third and probably end up in a a, a, a a match against the Netherlands in the last 16 and then Wales or Denmark in the quarters. And they would consider themselves favourites for both of those games, having finished third in their group. So I wouldn't be surprised if Portugal kind of sat deeper, particularly having got, got kind of dismantled by Germany in their second game. I think they'll probably aim to be more defensive and are probably pretty happy with a draw. Whereas France, that would leave France probably in second place with a game against England to come that they might not be too keen on. So I think the onus has to be on France to kind of, even with the changes Tom says, to kind of push forward and look for the winner because yeah, I just think Santos will be happy to to draw the game 0-0 or 1-1 and, uh, and take a very handy-looking third place given the way the draws opened up. Really looking forward to that game. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, right, we are nearly done for today, listener. Next, we'll be talking out of our ass. But first, let's get some odds from Paddy Power and head over to Producer Ben. Thank you very much, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm on the line with Graham Byrne from Paddy Power. Graham, let's look ahead to the conclusion of Group E then tomorrow. Um, I've got a feeling that Sweden and Slovakia are going to go through automatically and Spain and Poland aren't. Does this make sense to you and the numbers? Well, Sweden are already through no matter what happens thanks to the games yesterday. So the big question comes, who joins them? The betting for this is Spain are 1-20. to 20. The layers have obviously made up their mind that Spain's ridiculous run of bad luck cannot continue. The possession stats have been ridiculous. They've missed a penalty. Everything's conspired against them. But they think they're going to put that right in, in Seville against Slovakia. Slovakia are 23-10 to 10 to qualify. Poland are 7-5. to 5. Slovakia, they, after getting that win against Poland, they were a narrow defeat against Sweden. They're on the back foot now. They only need a draw against Spain 
Spain. That's the good news for them. But the way things are looking, you just can't see Spain's run of bad luck continuing in this one. The other game, Poland have been throwing a lifeline at that late equaliser against Spain. The results have gone their way. They know if they beat Sweden, they are in. They should qualify. So Poland at 7-5 to five is the betting. If you think Slovakia are going to qualify, Ben, they're the outsider of the tree to go in at 23-10. to 10. All right, then let's move on to Group F then, where it's all very exciting. Um, Portugal v France looks like it could be a real cracker. Can you give us the overall here and the first goal scorer markets? Yeah, overall betting on this game, Portugal 11-4, to the draws 9-5, to and France are 5-4. to Now, the chips um, are down in this one. The stakes couldn't be higher because whoever wins this group gets to play a nice third-place team, whereas the runner-up is looking at a possible game in Wembley against England. So you'd imagine that the French are going to want to get business done after that blip in Hungary. The first goal scorer markets in Mbappe is 4-1. to Griezmann is the guy I like. He takes all the set pieces. He's starting to do everything for the French. He is into 4-1. to Benzema 9-2 and Cristiano Cristiano. Ronaldo, of course, a man you can never write off a five to one. They are the main market protagonist. If I was going to have a bet on the anytime market for me, it would definitely be Griezmann. He scored in the last game. And as I said, he takes all the set pieces. He just hogs that ball. And in around the goal, he is the man, I think, where the value is because I do think the French are want to go in here, Ben, and get a result against the Portuguese to win this group to ensure that they have that better fixture in the next round. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020 in 2021. All the articles, all the podcasts ad-free and Q&As with writers. It's only a pound a month for your first six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. You know what to do with that big fat butt. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. If you're already a subscriber, you may well have read Yaya Toure's piece penned with the help of the excellent Ryan Conway about big bums and why they can be a big help to a footballer. Uh, the risk of being labelled a pound shop a mix a lot. I've always been a fan of footballers with a prime rump. Yaya feels the same. Uh, let's make a team out of bottom-based players, shall we? Tom, Abby and I spent a great deal of our afternoon on this, uh, but I think that you might trump us. What names did you come up with, please? Well, I should probably mention that when producer Abby first uh, mentioned that we were going to do this feature, I thought the goal was to build a team of footballers with great bums or Same. just notably <laughs> peachy bums. So I I tumbled down a, a very different kind of uh, internet rabbit hole for about half an hour until I double checked with Abby and she told me that it was <laughs> it was. Uh, bum puns that we were looking for rather than actual bums do you want my do you want my 11 or do you just want me to to throw out some some random ones throw out some random ones but let's have a few uh beautiful bums first just because i'm intrigued um okay i mean in hazard is is the obvious one it's hard to you know to watch him and not notice his bum Mm. um anyone who has come through la masia at barcelona knows how to use their bum to fend off an opponent. So your Chavis, your Sergio Busquetses, your Andres Iniestas. Uh, I feel like Chavis' use of his bum accounted for almost 60% of his playing ability. You watch the way that he sort of uses it to kind of steer people out of the way, and it's, it's masterful. And then sort of like squat, powerful centre-forwards, your, your Romarios, your Sergio Agueros, um, tend to be uh, equipped with, you know, a, a, a decent sort of, power centre in the, um, the the buttock region. <laughs> uh, 
can we have some That's some lame puns as well? That, isn't it? Oh God. Um, yeah. So I mean, there are some of it. I mean, like you can you can crowbar the word ass or arse into quite a mm-hmm. lot of names. Try to be a little bit more creative. Um, I mean, Christoph Baumgartner, Austria. That's probably quite obvious. Yeah, we, I had that um, one too. Yeah. Davy Clarson, Jordan Henderson, um, <laughs> Andy Robertson, um, and here? then my uh, my centre forward is uh, Aris uh, Seferovic. Aris, of course, being nice rhyming slang for your bump. Very good, uh, Daniel. You look disgusted. Mm. Did that? Did that prohibit you from taking part in this childishness? I mean, I was still. I, I, I literally did only think of players with big big bums so just had just wrote down Branislav Ivanovic a few times but um off the top of my head Nicky Butt obviously Burnt Haas a former Sunderland player bring this thing back temporarily to current affairs um Czech Republic had a player called Holes um I did, you know what? I I did I did notice that when I was looking down the squad list. I Mm. believe, sadly, that the little accent on the S means that it's pronounced Holish. I mean, we might have to have a steward's inquiry on that one. (laughs) If I'm being picky, Tom, I've just heard you say the word Henderson, so (laughs) let's not worry too much about that. Further fuel for the anti-Jordan Henderson trolls. Sorry, Matt, go on. <laughs> Here's the ones that, that me and Abby came up with, uh, with a tip of the hat also to Nick Miller, producer Ben, and Abby's husband, Adam. Uh, we tried to go for all people who are in the tournament. So we've got Marco Verassi, Francisco Acerbi, Leonardo Bamucci, Gianluigi Donnabummer, uh, Kevin Mbumbu, uh, Ruben Vargas, Aina Sunal, uh, you'll like this one, Daniel. This is my favourite. Quiche de Moor, yeah. Quiche de Oh God, I was looking for a. I was looking for an opportunity to get Quiche into a name. I didn't even think of Quiche de Moor. I Very was. Good. I Very thought good. you were going to say Lyndon Gooch, just to finish it off. Not at the Euros. Got to be at the Euros. Like Dedrick Butiata, oh. Yannick Carrasco. What about Aaron Rumpsdale? Uh, topical one from tonight. Batayo yeah. Saka, Scotland defenders. Liam Pooper, Jaxie Hendry. Cesar Aspilicueta and uh, a week one to finish off. Tony Poos. I, I don't think you needed to qualify any of them by saying a week one to finish. <laughs> I mean, I, there's some of those I didn't even know the football you were talking about. Uh, Abby's, Abby's best one, I forgot that. Jordan Shakriri. Shakriri, nice. I, I went for Danilo Pereira, similar sort of thing. <laughs> uh, lest we forget Georgie Tushchan, uh, Ukraine goalkeeper. Um, not that anyone uh, outside right said Fred uh, uses tush to refer to bums, but it I, I, it did come up on my thesaurus.com uh, search. Listener, there'll be none of this when Jimbo returns and uh, you've only got we, me for one more night. You will be pleased to know. Let us know your favourite footballing derrieres at The Totally Show. That's all for today, though. Thank you to Tom Ass-Williams and Daniel Storr-Reary for joining me, but Davis Adams... Uh, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at the Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com/slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.